1: Good evening. Welcome. You're listening to The Cable, 5 p.m. in the city of London. I'm Guy Johnson here in London. Alex Steele over in New York. Uh, Equity markets bouncing back today, but on fairly light volume. What is interesting is the travel and leisure stocks continue to do well. The market seems to be looking through Omicron and saying there will be brighter times ahead. But the real story to my mind, Alex, today was a 20% 20 increase in European gas and electricity prices in one day.
0: Yeah, I don't really know how that writes itself, because there's so many things that are going wrong. Like, one, it's cold. We all know that gas storage is not full, uh, and it wasn't full, and we're having some pipeline. Um, We're not getting the kind of gas from Gazprom that you would expect. Also, nuclear reactors shut down in France. Also, Germany phasing out nuclear reactors, and then the wind's not blowing. So, like, I just, there's there's a confluence of issues.
1: Uh, Yeah which is going to further drive the inflation narrative, which is going to further make life difficult for central banks that are already trying to deal and figure out exactly how they're going to be managing the the Omicron story. Uh, I think we're getting some news on that right now. Uh, Apparently, there is a statement. I see it flashed on the side of my screen. uh, that Boris Johnson, the UK prime minister, is saying that there will be no new COVID restrictions this side of Christmas. This side of Christmas is the important thing you want to pay attention to there. But it looks like Christmas is a go. So let's just deal with what the Prime Minister has said. This is in a video message. No new COVID restrictions before Christmas. Uh, Not enough evidence to justify tougher COVID restrictions. Can't rule Mm -hmm. out COVID rules after Christmas. Tighter COVID rules after uh, after Christmas. The Omicron situation, the Prime Minister says, remains difficult. Basically, political pressure appears to be coming to bear on Boris Johnson Um, and as a result of which we are not going to see restrictions but it does seem as if he is teeing us up for something to happen post Christmas now
0: in 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 all fairness and I think that you were bringing this up on television I think and I thought the same thing when I saw the numbers is that the case count in South Africa is rolling over which implies that potentially this thing hits us hard and fast, and then it tapers off. Especially because South Africa, maybe they have more young people, but they definitely don't have the vaccination rates that say the U.S. and U.K. does. So, it, it there potentially in the next week or so could we actually see the crest uh, in cases, well, the, so or because the, the holidays does it stretch on?
1: Well, I think that the, so the the holidays I think is probably going to mean that we do see another leg to this and probably the amount of mixing we 're going to see is, is going to accelerate things. Though I have to say, I anecdotally, I know so many people that are that are scaling back their their Christmas plans as a result of what is happening here because so many families have got one member that have mm-hmm. now got COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result of which changes are, are having to be made. So I think it probably will persist. But, but I, I took a lot of heart from that South African news and I know they're not comparable. I know it's not a side by side. But but you just look at the, like the the parabolic move we're seeing in the case count. That is not sustainable. Moves like that do end, and they, t- they tend to end fairly aggressively.
0: And, and I think that you have to wonder if that's what the market is also seeing, too. Part of it's died, but by the dip. Part of it's like we're not seeing a ton of volume. Part of it retails back into the market, into certain stocks. So there is all that news. Nike had those good numbers. Uh, Micron had those good numbers. So there's all of that also. But I wonder if we're able to sort of take these new variants in stride. You have a snap reaction, and then we're back to kind of buying the dip until we see any kind of material tightening of financial conditions.
1: Yeah, I don't know what I, I don't know what's going to change the buy the dip mentality. We've we've had such a good run; it's worked for so it's worked for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would be rare to see another big up year next year if you just take a look at the traders' almanac. It, it, this doesn't happen very often. But we live in weird times and, and we live it's in a hard. world
0: where real rates are negative and they could stay negative once we hit the terminal rate for the Fed.
1: So, Precisely. I mean. So I, I there, there are a number of kind of countervailing forces that are really hard, I think, to navigate at the moment. Um, but you've had a great run. I, I, I am I am I am surprised that we are seeing as many people being as positive as they are on next year. I, just There are just kind of so many things that seem to be coming together that are going to make life difficult. But everybody seems quite certain that, that equities are going to continue to kind of drive forward. Maybe not quite as well as they did this year, but we'll, well see.
0: Well, I think that that also begs the question of, where do you want to invest? And I talked to a lot of people today, um, because I was subbing for John on the open, um, that said, Europe, Japan, Europe, Japan, Europe, Japan. Um, We also talked to Ian Harnett, Absolute Strategy Research Chief Investment Strategist, about how he's thinking about next year also.
2: Well, I think, you know, one of the reasons why we haven't said to people you get out of the market completely now is that when you go into the start of the no- new year, typically there's a-, a bit of a seasonal bounce. Also we've seen the markets quite oversold as it appears that institutions have looked to close their books uh, ahead of the year. So you know, I think we can look forward to-, to a bit of a seasonal bounce guy, but I think then it gets more tricky because we get the reality that economic growth is slowing, you know, monetary policy around the world is tightening. Um, and that fiscal policy is not going to be as expansionary as it was. And, you know, that's caused us to drop our economic forecast and drop our market forecasts as well. So I think that harsh reality of the lack of follow-through on regime change, the lack of follow-through on, um, you know, escape velocity is going to hit home at that point.
0: Ian, it's great to see you, by the way. Um, Hi, I Alex. wonder if the scenario that you laid out will actually happen. I mean, we heard from the UK <laughs> that there's going to be some kind of support. France is also going to provide some support to the hospitality industry as well, Um, and I wonder if the Fed's going to be able to actually hike two to three times next year. Is the scenario that you laid out actually going to be able to happen?
2: Well, I don't think we felt that there was, um, you know, too much of a risk around the rates side. I think we felt that, you know, the the market views on rates were probably going to end up being a bit too pessimistic. But but they're going to be too pessimistic because economic growth is going to be weaker. You know, Omicron plus the lagged effects of, uh, you know, the, some of the the uh, less expansionary measures that we've seen will work together to keep economic growth, you know, probably relatively weak. Trending down towards trend, which might be viewed as the good news, but that means that your earnings growth numbers are going to be much more uncertain and potentially our macro numbers are suggesting earnings growth now close down towards zero bottom-up numbers still quite positive. But, you know, it's that uncertainty about earnings, I think, Alex, that's going to be uh, problematic. But, you know, no, I don't think we are going to be able to see the Fed raise rates too rapidly, partly because debt is still an issue. And that financial repression is a key element of our investment strategy for the year ahead.
1: Ian Hodden, Absolute Strategy Research Chief Investment Strategist, talking to Alex and I a little bit earlier on again kind of downgrading but still positive Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and the other thing that i keep getting is it's going to be quite bumpy so do you just want to invest through those bumps oh yeah yeah. does the following year carry on as being as good i i I think i think managing the market is going to be a much more of an active process next year than maybe it was this year
0: what i increasingly hear though is that it's going to be divided into two halves the first half second half i mean obviously that would imply two really? halves yeah uh, just in case you guys didn't know that um but I, I feel like we heard that about 2021 also so 2022 first half is going to be really bumpy at central banks will the fed raise rates we're still getting uh, COVID under control etc but the second half is going to be a lot clearer and we're going to see uh and, th- and that's when things start to change etc i mean how do you possibly have visibility into 2022 nope. like let's just get through today See what happens tomorrow and see what the volume is and see what the Fed can actually do. What I did think is interesting is most people are saying that, like, buy Europe, buy Japan. Buy Europe, buy Japan. You may want to buy growth in those countries, but still go buy those value areas.
1: Yep. I, th- they've underperformed. They've mm-hmm. got better metrics. The multiples don't look quite so stretched. I, that doesn't seem... Too difficult to understand. Plus, also Europe's going to have pretty loose monetary policy next year,
0: yeah.
1: And is going to have some pretty decent fiscal mon- uh, fiscal policy as well. So, yep. I, I I get it, but when people start talking to me about this time it's different for Europe, I oh yeah do have quite a lot of muscle memory around that.
0: No kidding, you, yeah, um, 100% agree with you on that one. Whenever you say this time is different, it's not different.
1: Absolutely. Uh, we should talk Turkey next as well. Damien Sassar is off his stool. He'll join us in the studio. This is Bloomberg.
3: This is The Cable, with Guy Johnson and Alex
4: Steele, on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Alex Steele, along with Guy Johnson. Um, Turkey made headlines yet again. The headline, Turkey's Hidden Rate Hike Buys Erdogan Some Time But Raises Risks. And the risk is that the Turkish currency has lost more than 50% of its value against the dollar since September. And uh, Turkey announced yesterday... Uh, that it would be stepping in and guaranteeing deposits uh, for individuals that hold their deposits in lira, not the hard currency, but in lira, um, over the deposit rate. So, if you have a bank account and the bank's promising you 15% and the currency falls 20%, the government's going to make up that extra 5%. That's going to wind up potentially being a lot of money. Damian Sassauer of Bloomberg Intelligence uh, back with us. I should make a note. The guy mentioned a stool. I forced Damien to sit on set in a stool to be extra far away from me because I'm, like, militant right now. Hashtag save Christmas. Is he in the around. studio
1: with you or is, is he somewhere else?
0: He was in the same studio as me. I just no, don't no, want no, I, anyone I, I know
1: that bit on television. Is he in the same studio with you now?
0: No. Gosh, No. No.
1: Absolutely not. No, bubble me. Like
0: I don't want to get away from me. I love you. Are
5: you kidding me? She doesn't want me anywhere near her. Not even remotely
0: close. Well,
5: listen, you know who doesn't want me near him is President Erdogan, because unfortunately (laughs) his plan to compensate, you know, Lira deposit holders for FX losses is really just not going to work, in my opinion. So, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, Alex, you know, the government now is going to backstop FX losses for Lira deposit holders. And so that could be a lot of money if the Lira continues to depreciate on the order We've seen. I mean, remember, this is a currency that's down 75% over five years, 42% year to date. I mean, it was off as much as 50% prior to yesterday, and so you know, here we are. So, let's just talk about the number: 265 billion dollars. That's how much. um, um, That's how much um, local Turkish uh, households have in foreign currency deposits, and so now the government is going to sit behind all of that. Imagine that, and backstop it if the lira continues to fall out of bed, and so for me, what does this mean? It means two things. It means that its fiscal deficit is clearly going to rise here. And it means that the monetary base is set to increase, right? Because if they don't have the funds, and we kind of know they don't have the funds, we know where their reserve positioning is, the Turkish government's going to have to actually print lira in order to cover that difference, which, of course, is highly inflationary. And so
1: that's where we are here today, Alex. Um, it, it, to, to be fair, he doesn't like me either. So <laughs> just to be clear on that, not not David Sasser. President Erdogan. He may like um, me. I'm not sure. I'm sure he probably likes you, but he clearly, I don't think he definitely doesn't like me, and I'm pretty certain he probably doesn't like Damien. What? Um, no way. Okay. uh the the move we've seen though is is a fairly big one. Can you talk me through what happened there? Because as you pointed out on television, yeah. it's unlikely that the, the, the Turkish citizenry last night went out and went. This is a great deal. We are going to get online and swap all our currencies out of dollar out of our <laughs> currency out of dollars into lira. Well, I mean,
5: look, it, offshore speculators guy have been out of the Turkish market for some time now so so this isn't price, a short squeeze so all of the price action exactly that we've seen uh, for the better part of the last few months even um, has been driven by locals has been driven by local banks, local households local co- corporates who need to you know hedge their currency exposure and so forth and so you know prior to yesterday, when we saw the lira you know um, depreciating that much further, we saw dollar lira rise above eighteen and go um, that was in my opinion, largely due to the fact that, you know, there was a loss of confidence amongst local households and corporates to hold Lira. And so they were selling it. They were, you know, buying dollars. And, and basically, uh, that's where we were until the Erdogan announcement, which happened, obviously, after the close. The move was so parabolic, I mean, that it couldn't have possibly been driven by, you know, retail investors, you know, households basically saying, whoa, everything's changed. <laughs> you know, let's sell our dollar deposits and move back into lira." No, no, no. That had to be a state bank buying, in my opinion, or rather, should I say, state bank selling of, of, of dollars, right? And so there were three big state banks. We know who they are. The Hawk Bank, Hawk Bank, and T.C. A obviously none of this is confirmed and this is all heresy it's all speculation but clearly to me I mean that seems to be the most likely um, driver of the massive rebound we mm-hmm. saw I mean it, it was a 35% round trip yesterday guy I mean yeah. it was off as yep. much as no, 10% exactly. end of the day up 23
0: now did you, did you mean to say hearsay
5: or heresy or heresy, heresy. sorry because it sounded
0: I, I, like heresy leisure or leisure it's sure okay Nike We'll get to Nike next. We're going to talk about Nike, whatever company that is. Damien, thanks a lot. Damien Sassauer of Bloomberg Intelligence. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the power Uh, crisis happening over in Europe. Prices soaring for year-forwards over in Germany and France. This is Bloomberg.
3: This is The Cable, with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele, on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Welcome back. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAV digital radio. Um, European gas electricity prices up circa 20% today. Just digest that for a minute. 20% on the day. Huge move. It's going to have implications far beyond the energy market. But let's focus on why and what happened and where we go. Mitch Jennings, senior oil and gas analyst at Sova Capital joining us now to give us his take. Mitch, just in terms of what is happening here in Europe, just give us a little bit of context. Have you ever, in your career, seen price movement, price volatility like we're seeing right now?
6: Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, No, this is the first time we've seen anything like this. We did see a brief jump in 2018 on what we call the beast of the east storm, but that was just about a day or two where the spot prices jumped to just under $1,000 per cubic meter. But what we're seeing today is kind of unprecedented. And we also, at least looking back until 2018 or before, we've never seen some of this flow situation from Gazprom as we've seen previously, where they're hitting zero going into Germany right now.
0: So, um, let's try and point the finger at something. You mentioned Gazprom. um, Flows are going away from Europe. They're going east. Um, that's obviously a problem. But there are a lot of other fingers to point at. Um, one would be Germany winding down its nuclear reactors. Another are issues and operational issues uh, over with EDF and their nuclear reactors in, in France. The other is the wind is not blowing as strong. And the other is the actual weather. Do we have an idea of like who's to blame for this?
6: Um, when, when this was all starting, we saw a lot of blame on, on kind of the wind. And I think now that the nuclear there is it five to seven reactors coming offline, it's definitely not helping. But I think, in general, it's just kind of it's a bunch of things compounding. So we've seen less LNG flows to the continent given the premium in Asia. Uh, we've seen less gas coming compared to the record year from Gazprom. Uh, whether or not this is intentional or this is due to domestic demand is kind of hard to, to point to right now. And then, like you said, we've seen everything else kind of just coming together to create this almost perfect storm for Europe and now with winter coming and we're having really cold temperatures here in Russia today, uh, the situation might just get worse.
1: In terms of this idea that, that this is also political, now you are in Russia so, so obviously you, you have to be cautious in the way that you answer this maybe, but is there a sense certainly in the energy market that there is a, there is a political element to the to, to the way that Russia is is using gas is exporting gas at the moment or it, or is it simply just like basic kind of market mechanics here Russia is having a cold winter it, it needed to fill its own supplies up as a result of which kind of Russia first is, a, is an understandable policy how are you guys thinking about this
6: yeah uh up until recently we've definitely been looking at this from the perspective of that it's less political and i don't think that it's overtly political if it is at all it's hard it's hard to obviously pin that down uh we did see some changes in the way that they do their underground storage and their storage domestically so we saw them increase the amount that they require and we saw them add another month to the heating season here which is another requirement for more gas so i think that that might have been part of the, the issue also, they had some outages with Jamal Europe uh, regarding an act incident at the condensate plant that I think also kind of weighed on exports for a little while, which was part of the start of the perception that maybe this was political. But I think it's important to realize, obviously, we're probably going to get to Nord Stream 2 because that's what yeah. the accusation is, is that uh, you know, Germany's been quite open, even though they delayed the, the certification on, on kind of the process. And Gazprom had said originally that it was only going to send about 5.6 BCM through mm-hmm. it if possible this year. And that was included in the original guidance of volumes, as far as we understand, for what they were going to export. So it's not – to me, it was never that there was going to be an additional lot of volumes coming through Nord Stream 2 or if, if the Europeans greenlighted it. And I think that maybe that's part of the hmm. misconception is there's a lot lost in the details uh, with how all this is coming together.
0: So, based on all of that, what we're seeing in the futures market is one-year-forward prices are up. That implies that at least investors think that this is going to last for a long time. In reality, how long could something like this last?
6: That's a a good question, and it's it's a bit tough to say, but I I think it will be. We will see higher prices definitely for next year. And I think we're starting to, to get the understanding that this really may drag on i think i, I saw wood mckenzie say that we could uh, have if the current export levels remain from gas power at today's level by the end of winter we could have just have 15 percent left in underground storage in europe so that would obviously keep prices quite high going into the spring and into the summer as there's a rush to fill gas uh before the next heating season so myself i'm trying to kind of put together what what the new base floor summer price would be going into winter. And if there's not enough gas that comes on the market, even with LNG into next year, then we may be facing a similar situation next year. Maybe not quite to this extent, but, you know, definitely pretty high prices.
1: Is there a, is there a way out of this? I, if the wind blew a little bit more, if the nuclear reactors came online, like how marginal is it? Because the price moves are so big at the moment that, that it feels like there needs to be a a very large shift in the way that, that energy is provided to Europe, energy's, the, the energy story here in Europe, for things to change for the positive. I, how, how are you thinking about kind of the... Is it just kind of that there are too many different bits that aren't working at the moment, and as a result of which the, the kind of the entirety is that bad?
6: Yeah, I think it, it is probably, probably part of that is just, you have even carbon prices right and coals at a record high too so you have just a bunch of things working yep. against you but the and the, the thing is that from what we're seeing at least Gazprom is saying that the deficit from gas side or from from in gas is like 14 bcm so it's, it wouldn't be actually that much in the context right. of the continent that consumes about 550. so i think it is mostly just a lot of things working against it
1: Okay, cool. Mitch, really great to catch up. Thank you very much indeed for your time today. Mitch Jennings, Senior Oil and Gas Analyst at Sova Capital. This is Bloomberg.
3: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg
4: Radio.
0: Good evening, London. 5.30 where you guys are. It's 12.30 right here in the U.S. We definitely have an equity rally underway. Is it the Santa Claus rally like a couple days before Christmas? I don't know. Volume is a touch lighter, not as bad as it is over in Europe, but still volume is light. Um, but we're seeing the Nasdaq up by 1.5%, um, the S&P up by 1.3%. Now, some of the upside is legitimately being driven by strong earnings. Oh, yeah, that's still a thing. Uh, Nike, or as Guy says, Nike. If I we all say-,
1: say it over here, by the way. That's, okay. that's how we say it.
0: I'll say Adidas. You are
1: broadcasting...
0: I'll say Adidas, on but D
1: A B digital radio. You
0: have, but we're also a podcast, so that
1: gives you an excuse, does it?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Um, anywho, the company that makes cool sneakers, Nike or Nike, uh, is up by a good seven uh, percent. It was at one point up by about nine percent. Um, they have issues in China, obviously that the sales didn't really match up. But sales in North America, super, super strong. Um, They also had some supply chain issues with their sourcing from Vietnam, but yet they have a good outlook for um, next year. Um, You have analysts saying that management's navigating the supply chain disruptions and any other COVID-related challenges. And so all positive sentiment that, you know, 2022... Cannot be terrible. Micron, same thing. The chip maker uh, had a, a, a positive 2022 uh, outlook. So if we just stay on the retail theme for a second, uh, Nike or Nike, um, Guy and I caught up with Tim Boyle, Columbia Sportswear uh, CEO. They make a lot of stuff like North Face. It's all the stuff that goes outside. If, you, if you're cold and you're outside, this is the stuff that you buy. And we talked to him about the visibility for next year.
7: Well, you know, I think uh, we, we thank our lucky stars every day that we're not in the tailored clothing business making, you know, present company-excluded neckties and, uh, and sport <laughs> coats and tuxedos because uh, people have adopted a lifestyle that's uh, reflective of what they wear, and it's really in many ways, an outdoor lifestyle. So it's been it's been great for our business, and uh, I think the expectations for for 22 and beyond are going to be the same, and or more, more more outdoor activities for families and and people who are interested in staying healthy and safe.
1: Tim, the, the real surprise to me was not actually on the the front end. I, I think it was logical that a lot of retailers went to e commerce. We just accelerated a trend that we've already been on. I think the real surprise that came out of the pandemic for a lot of people when it came to the retail sector was the supply chain story. Uh, it, it wasn't the demand side, it was the supply side. In Great. terms of how much progress has been made there, what is your perspective? We've clearly seen bottlenecks continuing. Are they, are they abating? What lessons have you learned in terms of managing supply chains over the last two, two years? What can you take forward from here?
7: Well, you know, um, uh, our company, like many others, had a very heavy reliance on on Vietnam, primarily because Vietnam had a terrific labor force, very high-quality labor uh, operators, and they, the government of Vietnam had done a terrific job of negotiating with various um, vendor, con- vendor countries, including the U.S., Russia, uh, Canada, etc., on on favorable duty rates, so it was a naturally good place to go get merchandise made that's high quality. Um, I think what we've learned is, you know, that you should have some sort of um, variation in your sourcing base, which we have, uh, and um, and that's been a learning for us. Um, I would say that the, the constraints around the logistics area in, uh, that we've all talked about, ad nauseum, <laughs> have been much more pronounced in the U.S. than they have been in other parts of the world.
1: Uh, that was the Columbia CEO talking to Alex and myself a little bit earlier on. Let's bring into the conversation now, Kriti Gupta, talk about the price action uh, that we're seeing uh, and kind of what we're learning uh, in terms of some of these company re- these company reports. Um, the Nike numbers were good. The tone today seems to be better, Kriti. What can we read into it?
8: Yeah. Well two pieces to the equation. On the first half, I mean, it's very clearly a turnaround Tuesday kind of story. And you can best see that, of course, on the surface level with the idea that the S&P 500 is up 1.4%. Yesterday, it was had a very clear sell-off. But I think on a sector basis, that story is much, much more clear. Because essentially, yesterday's losers are today's winners. So your energy, financials, industrials, for example, are your top three sectors, uh, kind of in line with what you would think is the reopening trade, uh, but not quite, just given that the Omicron variant, as kind of a fundamental factor, doesn't really make sense. On the flip side, you have healthcare and consumer staples, which are your laggards. So, names like Clorox, uh, PG, Moderna, Pfizer, those were yesterday's performers. Today, outperformers, I should say. Today, they're the laggards. So, I think on the surface, it's very clearly a kind of buy the dip, reverse mm-hmm. whatever trade was happening yesterday mentality. But this is totally normal, not just because of holiday trading and thin liquidity, but you also see this show up when you have the VIX cross that 20 handle, which it has been for a past for the past couple of days, uh, hitting a 26 handle yesterday and now coming back down to a 21 today. And usually when you see the, the VIX or volatility that elevated, it tends to be kind of a red one day, green the next um, dynamic. Uh, and it's not necessarily going to be fundamental factors that drive it.
0: Also, we hit the 100-day moving average and nicely bounced off it um, yesterday as well. So I wonder like, how much of that... What kind of technical momentum have we seen? Because we we kind of bounced around that um, earlier in December. We bounced off it in October. And then we hadn't hit it in quite a long time.
8: Yeah, we actually haven't. And one of the big concerns was, that is this the kind of moment where you do start to see uh, it drop below even its 200-day moving average, which is something, to your point, that they haven't seen, or that the market hasn't seen in, in, I think, going back to 2020. And it was really in that September uh, 2020 correction that was driven by tech that you really thought the last time. So, one of the big questions was, does that mean, if it drops below that technical moving average, does that mean you start to see that kind of Santa rally next week, that everyone is expecting essentially kind of be threatened by uh, some of that news. And luckily, we haven't seen that just yet. Lucky for the bulls, I should say, um, because of those technical factors. So 100% agreed with your point that that also seems to be a factor here, which, once again, kind of emphasizes the point that today's move isn't necessarily going to be something driven on fundamentals, but more of a kind of uh, volume flows driven uh, price action.
1: In, in terms of who's actually driving this, who's at work? Is retail in? or are, in, are institutional investors in here? Um, a lot of people just anecdotally clearly are working from home, certainly here in London. I imagine that's starting to take over in New York as well. Just give me a sense of the mix of the involvement.
8: Yeah, well, it seems like the bigger trades are coming on the institutional front, and the reason I say that is because of the reactions you're seeing to uh, the earnings stories in particular, not just Micron and uh, – and Nike, but you're also seeing it with General Mills, and that's not necessarily names and off-earnings that the retail bid tends to follow on. Also, when you do see retail traders kind of come in full force, uh, not only are they targeting, obviously, the retail names, which they are, There's uh, there are a couple out there, uh, which they are targeting. For example, Cassava Sciences is one of them. But the other kind of, when you're talking about the institutional, the broader trade, they're not showing up just yet because, and I think the size really matters here, when the retail trade uh, kind of comes into the market. They make their presence known, and you see that on a closing basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Vanda Securities has been a, a pretty great tracker of, of these flows. They tend to see them on very very big sell off days. And yesterday, you didn't see those kind of flows bounce back into the market. So for today, it doesn't seem like it's retail driven. Whether that'll continue for the rest of the week and into next week uh, remains to be seen. That's such
0: a great point. That individual stocks, okay, maybe, but on the whole, you're not seeing that um, by the dip volume from them. Um, All right. Well, hey, if we all have to work from home for a little bit, maybe that changes. Uh, Kriti, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Kriti Gupta joining us, Bloomberg News. Okay. so let's get more into the vaccine. Um, Novavax, uh, CEO Stan Erk, joined us earlier on TV. His vaccine recently approved by Europe. We are going to get more into that. This is Bloomberg.
3: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. live on DAB Digital Radio. On Monday, the EMA, the European Medicines Agency, cleared Novavax's vaccine, uh, giving the company access to the continent. At a time when Omicron uh, is surging there. Um, This is a more traditional vaccine. It's not the messenger RNA vaccines that Pfizer and Moderna have produced. Uh, The company's chief executive is Stan Erg. Alex and I caught up with him a little bit earlier, Ron. Uh, The key question here to many people's minds is... When do we start to get data relating to Omicron? How effective will this be? How will it fit in uh, to the wider story around the other vaccines that are being delivered? This is what Stan had to say.
4: After generating a great deal of efficacy and safety data over the past year uh, for a protein-based vaccine, we also have uh, great stability data, which means that we can get our vaccine out globally without freezing. We can get it stored at normal uh, refrigerated temperatures. It can be at room temperature for some period of time. And that's gonna be very helpful to get it to all parts of the world. That's, that's probably point number one. Point number two is that we've shown uh, that the vaccine boosts very effectively. Now, uh, there's gonna be a lot of boosting going on, uh, particularly with Omicron. And, and uh, we think our vaccine is, is prime for that. Um, and uh, so those are some of the advantages uh, that, that we've got. Also, yep. there's vaccine hesitancy. And for people who who are more comfortable with with a, a more traditional protein-based vaccine, uh, that's that will uh, hopefully uh, expand the population of people that, that get vaccinated.
0: If we take kind of the Pfizer and uh, and Moderna, and then you got the J and J, where do you fit within that in terms of your efficacy?
4: Well, uh, in terms of efficacy, I think we've we've generated. Um, probably the best efficacy of anybody. We've, uh, we've, we've, we did it at a time when the variants, uh, alpha and beta variants were just uh, emerging and we showed that our vaccine had very effective, uh, 90 plus percent effect on, on uh, of efficacy. And so, so we're quite comfortable with that uh, efficacy profile.
0: Were you able to test against Omicron? Do you have an idea of when you might get that kind of data or if you need to sort of update the vaccine to be able to hit individual variants?
4: Well, we're doing two things. One is we're, we're checking, we're, we're evaluating the serum from, from people who have already been vaccinated uh, and looking at the Omicron d- responses, the antibody responses to Omicron. We'll have those data within days. And so our expectation, based upon what we saw with alpha, beta, and delta, is, is that we'll have a, a, uh, a robust, uh, protective level of antibodies uh, with Omicron, just as we have with the others. And, and uh, in addition, we're making uh, a new a new variant, an Omicron strain variant in, in, the, in, in the data from all these, from the trials that we're doing now, the evaluations we're doing now uh, will, will guide us into whether we should be uh, adding a new variant strain or sticking with what we have. And that, the, all those data will come out Uh, Fairly soon, and we'll we'll work with the world health agencies to determine the pathway forward for for the variant strain.
0: We learned today that the double dose of AstraZeneca vaccine only has about three months until you need a booster. Um, Do you have a sense uh, from Novavax about the Novavax vaccine and sort of how long immunity is going to last and when we need a booster? I mean, now we're already starting to hear rumors about the fourth booster or the second booster, fourth shot.
4: Right so uh we we those data take time to develop we do have uh some data showing that we we have an effective response that lasts out to six months and beyond and so we'll just we'll get more data and find out we do know that boosting gets us a very strong uh, immune response back above the levels after the second dose and so again those data are being generated uh over time um what i expect is is that that um we're going to be seeing uh um uh, covid vaccination on on some regular basis and and so what we're doing at novavax is is we started a trial last year where we've actually combined our flu vaccine with a covid vaccine and we'll have data on that uh, coming up in the by the end of the next quarter and and uh, show that that uh, maybe the best way to do this is to have an annual seasonal uh, respiratory vaccine which would involve covid and flu
0: and that's something that Moderna is also looking at, too. That was Dan of Novavax. Uh, coming up, we'll head to D.C. President Biden's schedule to speak in a couple hours. What will he unveil in COVID plans?
7: This is
3: The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
4: You should have an enjoyable Christmas and holiday uh, gathering, dinner, whatever, in your own home. What you want to stay away from is indoor congregate settings in which you do not know the vaccination status of the people around you. That would be quite risky.
0: That was Anthony Fauci speaking at ABC's Good Morning America, trying to preserve Christmas. We heard from uh, um, uh, uh, Boris, J- Boris Johnson in, a, in an address that nothing before Christmas in terms of restrictions, but maybe after Christmas we could see it. Heard something similar potentially uh, from Olaf Schultz. Um, we're going to hear from President Biden here in the U.S. in just a few hours time. Um, let's get a read on what we're going to be looking for. Reading the tea leaves. We're we'll looking at something after Christmas. Joining us now, Emily Wilkins of Bloomberg. Emily, what are you looking for?
3: So we know a little bit of what President Biden is going to say already. We know he's going to continue with his message that this is really a crisis for those who are unvaccinated. That These are the individuals who are going to be facing the most serious consequences as a result of the Omicron variant. That for those who are vaccinated and who are boosted, that they have less to worry about, that this is more mild. But the fact of the matter is that the Omicron variant, it now makes up. Uh, about three fourths of all the cases in the US. It's spreading very rapidly. And even though not as many people um, are going to the hospital as we saw for other variants, the hospitals are still being overwhelmed. And so, what we're uh, President Biden's going to lay out today a couple different things to address it. Number one, uh, 500 million at home COVID tests for free. People are going to be able to go to a website, make the request from the US government, and then get the test shipped to them. Another thing we're going to see is a deployment of military personnel to some of these overcrowded hospitals, trying to ease up on, uh, on things that need to be done. Uh, You'll know, sort of try and figure out ways to improve capacity for the time being. Um, then also, mass testing yep. it's back, they're going to open up one in New York City. So that, that's what we're expecting to hear from President Biden this afternoon.
1: It's that, That's not going to be in time for Christmas, though, is it? A lot of people are worried about Christmas.
3: No, I mean, the, it's going to take a while for the Biden administration to really get everything together with the COVID test. And in the meantime, we have seen multiple huge lines uh, around the country. I know they're, I've seen them here firsthand in D.C. of people just wrapped around blocks, waiting for hours to get their tests just because Omicron is spreading so rapidly, so many more people know someone who has now gotten it or they're traveling back home and they wanna make sure that they don't, they're not infecting their family.
0: Yep, hashtag Save Christmas. That is my theme for the next 24 hours. Also, Olaf Scholz, I should point out, um, a chancellor of Germany, is going to be shutting clubs across Germany to halt the spread. Um, They may reach their year-end goal, 30 million uh, vaccinated. I don't know if that incorporates boosters, but more restrictions obviously coming down because of this uh, next wave. He says we cannot shut our eyes to the next COVID wave. Emily, what do you think the stomach-slash-criteria is for urging more restrictions. It obviously works differently in the U.S. You have the federal government than you have the state. So it's a different kind of balance of power. But how do, you think, how do you think they're thinking about it right now in the White House?
3: So at this point, President Biden is saying that he's not going to advocate for any lockdowns at this point. He really wants to avoid that. Um, you know, the Biden administration, they very much hitched a lot of their success To being the administration that gets America past the pandemic. And for the first couple months of Biden's presidency, everything was going very well for them. They were able to show how many more people were vaccinated, uh, the percent of people who were vaccinated was increasing, and then Delta hit. And masks were back on, places were back, locked down. I mean, we've seen here it really is in the US um, state by state, locality, by locality. Uh, Different parts of the country have had vastly different experiences with COVID. But we are seeing a number um, of closures come back. Uh, We're tracking schools across the nation, and we're seeing a high percentage of them deciding to close, to go back to virtual classes due to just how quickly Omicron is spreading. Um, And so you are seeing that that happen, not at the federal level. Biden's not going to be talking about lockdowns, but you are hearing it a little bit more at the state and local level.
1: Um, just to switch gear a little bit, um, talk to me a little bit about what's happening with the conversation between President Biden and Joe Manchin. Um, we obviously saw Manchin torpedo Biden's flagship Build Back Better program over the weekend. There's been a conversation since then. Are we on? Are we off? Is it a hard no? Is it a soft? Like, Where are we with this?
3: <laughs> well, at this point, what Manchin wants to do... Is for everyone to go back to square one, rewrite the entire bill from the ground up, retake it through the process, and then maybe, maybe he will go ahead and support it. And so Senate Democrats are going to be gathering a little bit later this evening, kind of do a powwow, figure out what is going to be coming up next for them, what direction they want to take here. Remember, the overwhelming amount of Senate Democrats want this bill, they want to see it pass uh, It's very much a mansion right now, and to a lesser extent, Senator Kirsten Senma, who has been holding things up. And uh, I think there's also a question about what we're going to see with Biden and Manchin. I mean, this is a very key relationship. Um, Manchin is very key for getting Biden's priorities passed. And you did, there are reports that there was a phone call between Manchin and Biden on Sunday night. So that would have been Sunday, you know, Mansion blows everything up. Sunday night, he speaks with Biden. And then on Monday, he did an interview with a local West Virginia radio station where he continued to express frustration. Said it wasn't Biden, blamed it on White House staff, wouldn't get into details. I think this is just something we're going to be following for the next couple days. Uh, certainly, the one message we are hearing from other Democrats is that they are not going to be giving up working on this bill. They're going to continue to find a way forward. I think, of course, the big question mark is what exactly does that look like?
0: All right, Emily, thanks a lot. Looking forward to your coverage. You'll be hosting Sound On tonight on Bloomberg Radio at 5 p.m. You'll break down President Biden's remarks and more. Um, Catch that wherever you get your podcast. Emily Wilkins, thank you very much. So, Guy, I, I think the message from officials, whether U.K., Germany, U.S., is pretty clear. We're not going into restrictions. No need for further restrictions now. Dot, 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 dot. Let's see what happens December 27th. Let's see what happens December 28th. That seems to be The idea. Markets, though, taking all of that in stride.
1: They've seen this movie before, haven't they? Unfortunately, we have. uh, And the expectation is that it will have a similar outcome. We power out of it, and equity markets get a fairly substantial boost. Okay, we're done with Tuesday. Uh, A few more days to go until Christmas. I hope you enjoyed the show. This is